Our sermon text for this morning comes from Matthew chapter 5. If you could turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew 5, verses 14 through 16. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles on a table just outside the door there. And uh, if you don't own a Bible, you should feel free not only to take one of those for the service, but to take it, uh, keep it, write your name in the front, and then bring it back week after week as we study God's Word together. Before we read Matthew 5, let's pray together. Please pray with me. Our Father, we do pray that your word would dwell in us as we just sang. And we do pray that, uh, that you would shape the way we live and move and breathe so that people would see you through us and in us. We pray that you would do that now uh, through your word. As we hear your word, that you would use it to shape us by the power of your spirit, to transform us into the image of Christ, that all might see him and bring you glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew chapter 5, beginning with verse 14. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. You are the light of the world. You, the church, are the light of the world. There are at least two kinds of people that might be offended by that statement. Christians and non-Christians. If you're not a Christian, you might be offended by that statement, by the statement that the church is the light of the world, because you're wondering what makes the church so special. In fact, uh, when you look at actual churches, you wonder even more, right? This is the light of the world? We must be living in darkness if this is the light of the world. I mean, there are lots of organizations out there that sometimes seem to be doing much better work than the church. If you are a Christian, you might be offended by this statement as well. Uh, for at least two reasons. Uh, One is, in our kind of anti-establishment, in our uh, individualistic age, uh, the church is often seen as unnecessary at best and suspect at worst, even by Christians. So we look at Jesus' words here where Jesus says, you are the light of the world, and we want to read that in individualistic terms. We want to to read it as if Jesus is saying, you, an individual, you are the light of the world. And there is some truth to that. uh, But I would argue that Jesus is referring to the church as a whole. You individually are the light of the world in as much as you, an individual, are a part of the larger you, the church. But another reason Christians might be uh, upset by the statement that you are the light of the world is, is, you know, as we say, well, well, Jesus is the light of the world, right? Not, not me, not the church, not Christians, Jesus, right? Jesus is the light of the world. And partly, we, we want to emphasize that to be theologically precise, right? 
Jesus is the light of the world. And partly we want to emphasize that to remove any burden that might be on us for being light. Right? No, 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 don't, don't look at me, we say, right? Look at Jesus. I'm not the light, he's the light. Well, we're in the, the final sermon in a series on our worship service. And uh, we have been invited into God's presence through the call to worship. We've been cleansed by the blood of Jesus and assured of his pardoning grace. We've been reminded of God's commitment to us to forgive our sins. And, and we've renewed our commitment to him by confessing our faith together. We've then drawn near to God through his word, through prayer. Draw near to him through the Lord's Supper. But now in the final act of worship, at the very end of the worship service, God sends us out, sends us out into the world to bear his light, to be sought and light, as we say. God commissions us, right? He gives us our mandate. And our mandate is to be the light of the world. If uh, the worship service is a rehearsal of the gospel, walking us through the gospel week by week, the commission is now go live in light of that. Go live in light of the gospel. Go live as lights in the world. Our outline uh, for this morning, you can see on the back of your bulletin, we're going to talk about the origin of the light, uh, the method of the light, and the purpose of the light. The origin, the method, and the purpose. First, we'll talk about the origin. God is light. And in him there is no darkness at all. That's what 1 John 1, 5 tells us. And light there is a metaphor. And uh, it, it's a great metaphor because it's so rich. You know, light is a metaphor for a lot of different things. Light's a metaphor for goodness. As opposed to what the Bible calls the works of darkness. Right? Those are those things that are so bad that you only do them when no one else can see you. Light is also a metaphor for truth and for understanding. The Bible teaches that sin causes us to be darkened in our understanding. But truth is like a lamp guiding our path so that we don't walk in darkness. Light is also a metaphor for beauty and for splendor. And on the one hand, we have uh, the glorious and beautiful and bright. And on the other hand, we have those things which are dull and dark and drab and dreary. Psalm 104 even says that God is clothed with splendor and majesty, covering himself with light as with a garment. Light is the beauty of God's splendor. Finally, light is a metaphor for life. John 1 talks about the light of life. Job, in contrast, talks about the gates of death as the gates of deep darkness. Or the psalmist talks about life's troubles as sitting in darkness and in the shadow of death. So goodness and truth and beauty and life, God is all of these things. God is light. According to Christianity, right, it's God's active presence in the world that brings life and health and peace and goodness and beauty into the world. God is light. He is our, our life and our breath. Every good and perfect gift comes from him, the father of lights, James tells us. And then in the beginning, God creates humanity. 
creates humanity after his image. In the image and likeness of God, God created them. Humanity was created to bear the image of God into the world, which is another way of saying we were created to bear God's light into the world, to represent him as his image bearers, to bring his goodness and his truth and his beauty and his life into the world. God is light. We were created in the image of God, so we were created in the image of light. We were created to bear God's image, bear God's light into the created order. And yet immediately, well then, immediately after creating humanity, God commissions them, doesn't he? He creates man in Genesis chapter 1, and then he commissions them. He gives them his first mandate. He sends them out into the world and he says, Go, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, and rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. God says, Go bless the world, right? Go bring uh, my goodness and my truth and my beauty and my life further into the created order. To be light, then, is to bear God's image. And of course, to bear God's image is really just what it means to be human, the way we were meant to be. The problem, the Gospel of John tells us, is that men prefer darkness rather than light. With the advent of sin, the light in us was dulled. The image of God in us was marred. And rather than representing God in all of his goodness and all of his truth and all of his beauty, we became rebellious and deceptive, and morally and relationally and spiritually ugly. One of the emphases of the, the first few chapters of the book of Genesis is that rather than humanity being life-giving, humanity became violent and destructive. And Cain's murder of Abel was just the beginning of a life filled with the darkness of sin rather than with the life-giving light of God. And so we have what we so often see today, what, what uh, Bryce just talked about as we prayed. We see a, a life that is filled with violence and rebellion and deception, a world full of confusion and, and hatred and oppression, where we always live under the shadow of death, just waiting for more bad news when we turn on the radio or turn on the TV. You know, from one perspective, the Old Testament, even as we read through it, is the story of, of the ugliness of the darkness taking over the world, the story of, of sin and the ever-deepening effects of darkness. And then Jesus comes. Jesus comes into the world, and John says of Jesus, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. Jesus himself says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus is God in human skin. Not just another man made in the image of God, but the image himself clothed in flesh and bones. The image of light. Jesus is the light of the world, not me, not you. We cannot be what he was, what he is, what he will always be. He is God in the flesh, shining the light of his goodness and of his truth and of his beauty for all to see. And when we look at Jesus, right, what do we supremely see? What, what, what do we see of God supremely in the person of Jesus? We see the light of God's grace. We see his love for sinners, the light of the gospel, Paul says. 
In Jesus, the light of the world, we see that God shows mercy to the broken, that he shows grace to the rebellious, that he shows acceptance to the outcast. Jesus brought the light of God's goodness, right? Living as we ought to have lived in submission to his Father. He brought the light of God's truth, right? Showing us the Father as he really is in all of his justice and holiness and righteousness and mercy and kindness and compassion. Jesus brought the light of God's beauty, showing us the Father's glory as we have never seen it before. But there's this interesting statement in John chapter 9 where Jesus says, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Now, what's interesting about that is that Jesus is no longer here the way he once was. He has ascended uh, into heaven to the right hand of the Father. Jesus is not uh, shining on earth in the same manner in which he once shined. We don't see God in the face of Jesus in the same way the disciples saw God in the face of Jesus because he's not here physically. And so the question then, Jesus says, if he says, as long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. Well, Jesus has left the world, ascended into heaven to the right hand of the Father. Has he left the world in darkness then? And the answer is no. No, he didn't. Well, what did he do? He left us. (laughs) Scary. Should be. You are the light of the world. That's what Jesus says. You are the light of the world. That's the origin of the light, right? God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. Jesus is the light of the world. He has ascended into heaven to the right hand of the Father, and he has left us to now be the light of the world. Okay, well, how does Jesus shine this light before men? How does Jesus do it? What's his method, so to speak? Jesus tells us a number of things in just these uh, three verses. Uh, first notice, Jesus does not say, in uh, uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, he does not say, you can be the light of the world. He doesn't say you might be the light of the world. He doesn't say you should be the light of the world. You ought to be the light of the world. Jesus says you are the light of the world. Now, the you there is plural, right? It's you, the church, not merely you, the individual. It's us corporately who are called the light of the world. And again, you may be scratching your head. Well, I've seen the church. I've seen it at its worst, maybe. I've seen how ugly it can be. How can that ugly thing be the light of the world? And there are two answers to that, at least two answers to that. And the first is this, uh, what Jesus means, I think, by you are the light of the world, he, he doesn't mean that you are bright and shining. I mean, you may be bright and shining, but you may not be bright and shining. But he means that you are it, whether you're bright and shining or not. The church is the light of the world. If it shines dimly, then that is all the light that the world has. If it shines brightly, the world can bask in that light. But either way, the church is the only light of the world. The church is all there is to make known to the world the true God in all of his beauty and goodness and truth. The church is all there is to make known how the world was made to be in the beginning, how it should be, how it will one day be again. We're it. 
God didn't set up any other way of making the depth of his glory known. Jesus didn't set up some other means of declaring his saving grace. You are the light of the world. Another thing this statement means, not only does it mean that we're it, for good or for ill, but it means that God will accomplish his purpose through the church. You are the light of the world. He will make his glory known through us one way or another. And consider Paul's confidence in the book of Philippians when Paul says, He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Christ Jesus. It doesn't say he might bring it to completion. He may, maybe, we hope, possibly God might do this. No, God will bring his work to completion in you. He will complete the work he began. You are the light of the world. That's God's work in us. You may not feel very bright at the moment, but God is at work in you and through you to his glory. You are the light of the world. How can that be, right? I mean, how can, how can we be light? I mean, humanity, okay, we know, was created in the image of God to bear God's light in the world. I get that. But sin has brought a corruption to our nature. The image has become dulled in us. God's love and mercy and righteousness and kindness are no longer seen to their full extent, right? I mean, I'm so broken. I'm so sinful. We are so broken and so sinful. How can we be the light of the world? The answer to that question in part is that Jesus must set us on fire, right? Jesus must set us aglow with his glory once again. Well, how does that happen? Think about the illustration that's here. Jesus compares us not just to lights, you are the light of the world, but to lamps. And as, as one pastor put it, Jesus doesn't say we are like the sun or the stars because sun and stars have light in themselves. But you're like a lamp and a lamp cannot produce light. A lamp can only hold light. Your light is derived Think about it, lamps must be lit. We're not talking about light bulbs here. We're talking about lamps with with flames on them. Jesus talks about a lampstand here in Matthew 5. Of course, that's not new imagery, right? Um, In the temple, there was a lampstand. You knew I couldn't not bring in the temple in this series. Um, In the temple, there was a lampstand. And uh, the light from that lampstand gave light to the holy place. And as we read through the Bible, this imagery of the lampstand keeps coming up. And we find that the Holy Spirit is compared to the flames of fire on the lampstand. In fact, Revelation, the book of Revelation, calls the Holy Spirit the seven spirits of God, which always throws everybody off. Like, okay, it's the Holy Spirit and the seven spirits of God. That just, it, it's hard for us to get, okay, how is that? Um, but the point is, the imagery is... The Spirit is the seven spirits of God, just as there were seven flames on the Old Testament lampstand. On the, that lampstand in the temple had seven candlesticks upon it, right? And when we get to the book of Revelation as well, it says that the lampstand is a metaphor for the church. Right? Read the first couple chapters of the book of Revelation. You'll see it come up multiple times, right? The lampstand is a metaphor for the church. And uh, this may help you begin to think about, okay, Jesus being the light of the world, but the church also is the light of the world. How does that work? Well, the church 
using the metaphor, right, the church is like a lampstand. Lampstands may or may not have light burning in them, but the spirit of Jesus is the flame, is the light that burns in the church, both in us as a corporate whole and in each one of us as individuals. You still might ask, okay, okay, fine, so I get the imagery, there's a lampstand, there are flames on top of it, we're the lampstand, the Holy Spirit is the flame. You still might ask, but, but how? How does this all work, right? How is it that we are lit? How is it that we are set on fire? It's actually interesting, it, it, it happens through worship. It happens through worship. It happens as we draw near to God, as we see God in all of his glory, both when we're sitting at home and reading our Bible and honestly laying our sin and weakness before our Father and seeing Jesus in the scriptures. It happens as we gather with his people week after week to draw near together, to come before him in that unique way that only happens when two or three are gathered in his name. See, we shine as Jesus lights when we draw near to God through him. Think about Moses, right? You remember Moses uh, back in the book of Exodus, and uh, Moses goes up on the mountain to draw near to the Father, and the people stay down at the bottom of the mountain for fear of even touching it, and um, they're afraid of God's presence. But Moses draws near, he comes into God's presence, and then he comes down off the mountain 40 days later, having met with God, and the text in the book of Exodus tells us that Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. Moses radiated the glory of God because he had been talking with God, the text tells us. See, we must meet with our Father if we are to radiate his glory. And Paul picks up this imagery of Moses' face shining in uh, in the book of 2 Corinthians. We read it earlier. And Paul says that Moses put a veil over his face to hide the fact that the glory was fading, that the light of Moses' face was growing dull. And he didn't want anybody to see that. But Paul says, we are not like that. We are very bold, not like Moses. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord and being transformed into the same image of one, uh, into the same image, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. We are being transformed as we gaze upon the glory of God. As we meet with God, as we see his glory with the eyes of faith, we are set aglow. Not with a literal radiance, but we are transformed into the image of God, into the image of his glory, from one degree of glory to another. And yet it's not just sort of generic glory that we see that transforms us, according to Paul, but we see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Right? If if we want to glow with the radiance of God's glory... If we want to be transformed into God's image, you must set your heart to see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. You must set your heart on seeing Jesus, seeing the good news of Jesus as the risen one, the one who has conquered death and sin and deception. We must see Jesus as the image of God come into the world to push back the darkness. And of course, to understand Jesus and what he did and and his work on the cross, we must understand a little bit of our own hearts, don't we? We need to see the darkness that is there. We need to be honest about that darkness with God and acknowledge it openly to God and to others. And then look to Jesus and really see him for who he is, the Savior of sinners, our Savior. 
And as you see Jesus in all of his glory, you will begin to glow. You will be transformed from one degree of glory to another, Paul promises. It's the presence of the Spirit of Jesus transforming us into the image of Jesus through the gospel, the good news of Jesus, that enables us to be light in the world. Right? It's the presence of the Spirit of Jesus transforming us into the image of Jesus through the good news of Jesus that enables us to be light in the world. Now, you know, Moses spent 40 days and 40 nights on the mountain before his face shone with the glory of God. And I, I challenge you, I challenge myself, right? If you want to glow, go someplace for 40 days and 40, no, no. Uh, if, right, if you want to glow, right? If you want your face to shine, if you want to be transformed into God's image, if you want to reflect the light of Jesus, you must spend time in God's presence so that he might transform you into his image. And then your face will shine. God himself is the light. We are transformed into light by contact with him. We must come to him honestly and often that he might do his work in us, that we might shine with his glory. And yet there's more that Jesus says here about shining. He, he, he says we are the light of the world. We must be lit like lamps. We also must be in the world. Again, verses 14 and 15, Jesus says, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. See, if you're going to shine, which that's the command of verse 16, let your light so shine before men. If you're going to shine, you must be out in the open. You must be where people can see you. You know, the first example Jesus gives is of something that cannot be hidden, a city, which, by the way, is, a, again, a, a corporate thing, a city. We are that city. The people of God, the church, is that city. But second, he gives uh, the example of something that is not hidden, a lamp, right? You don't take a lamp and stick it under a basket, but you put it on a lampstand so that all in the house might see its light. If we're going to shine, we must be out in the open. We must be visible, this is an important point for us, for the church, right? Jesus says, let your light shine before others. And the question for us is, are we in the world in such a way that people, that others, see us? You know, one of the classic uh, critiques of the monastic movement, right, which may or may not have always been true, but one of the, the things you always hear people say about monasteries or, or monks is, if, if, if you seek holiness by hiding from the world then you fail to obey Jesus to let your light shine before others. You know, on some level, we must be actively involved and engaged with the people around us. You know, moving to the middle of nowhere to start a Christian commune, that's not the call of Jesus. He calls us to let our light shine before others so that they may see. They have to see. How are you engaged with people who don't know Jesus? Where are you living out your faith visibly for the world to see before them in a way that's open? Now, if you're here, right, I mean, if you're, if you're here on the college campus, if you're a student or a professor, uh, the question is not so much when or where, because you can't avoid people. The question is, what does it look like? What does it look like to live in that context in such a way that lets our light shine? 
Jesus gives us the answer to that question as well. In verse 16, he says, In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works. Doing good works. That's Jesus' answer. Doing good works. How do you let your light shine before others? Do good works. Well, what does that mean? Doing good works. I actually, I wrestled with this phrase a lot. This, really, this whole chunk of verse 16. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works. And uh, as I thought about it and thought about sort of the light and our, our being transformed into the image of Jesus and this, this imagery of, of our being transformed from one degree of glory to another and how all this fits together, here, here's where I landed. What does it mean to let our light shine before others so that they may see our good works? It means, it means let the character of Christ in you be evident in what you do, Right? Let the character of Christ in you, that transformed character, that light-bearing nature, let the character of Christ in you be evident in what you do. If we are being changed to reflect the glory of Jesus, the character of Jesus, we need to then live that out. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works. It means go show Jesus to the world. Right? Go show him to the world in the way you live. It's, it's not even so much about what you do, as about how you do it. I mean, sure, as Christians, uh, there are going to be certain things that, that we're going to do that are unique to us as Christians, right? When you become a Christian, there's going to be some new things that you're going to do. Um, we're going to delight in God in a way that we never could before, right? We're going to worship. Uh, we're going to take an interest in, in the poor and the needy and the widow and the orphan and the least of these. We're going to serve those in need the way Jesus served us. We're going to have compassion the way Jesus had compassion for us. We're going to begin, begin to share verbally right, the, the story of Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection. We're going to call others to faith and repentance as we have opportunity. We're going to evangelize. Right? Those activities, are uh, worship and mercy and evangelism, they're all necessary to the Christian life. But if we limit the idea of letting our light shine to those things, right, we're missing the big picture. To let your light shine is to reflect the character of Christ in everything you do. The word good is actually helpful here, this word good, good works. Um, there are multiple Greek words for the word good. And uh, this word in particular means, means beautiful, praiseworthy. Live beautifully before the world. We want our lives to be so beautiful in humility, in patience, in grace, in creativity, in love, in trustworthiness that the beauty of our lives draws people to God. And as you work hard, right, serving God in your career, or as you are honest in your business, as you love those who are different from you, as you care for those in need, as you creatively come up with new solutions to uh, the world's problems, as you refuse to participate in gossip, as you refuse to grumble or complain when life is difficult, as you, as you love and care for and show interest in the people around you, you are letting your light shine. God is light, and Jesus is the light of the world, right? We have no intrinsic light in ourselves. We can only reflect the light of Christ through the indwelling of his spirit. The classic illustration of that, you, you, you may know, right? It's the, the moon. You know, the sun is a bright and burning light, and the moon is a rock. But at night, we look up at the moon, and it is bright and shining. Where does that light come from? It is reflecting the light of the sun. 
That's what we are to do. We are to reflect the light of Christ. And we do this in our every calling, in everything you do, right? In homemaking, in education, in culture, shaping, in technology, or government, or social work, friendship, and neighbor love, and mission work, evangelism, and worship. Whatever you're doing, right? God's commission to us as his corporate people who are now being sent out at the end of the worship service, scattered throughout the world as we go to our day-to-day lives, God's commission to us is this. In everything you do, you are to be light, What makes us light in those things is not simply what we do, because we share many of those things in common with the people around us, but it's reflecting Christ as we do it, living beautifully in the world. Now, if you're like me, uh, the thought of reflecting Christ in everything that we do can actually be scary, and if not just scary, then then downright oppressive. (laughs) That That I have to do what, right? Uh, I have to reflect who? Um, So let me add one more thing before we move on to our last point. And that is that there can be beauty in the midst of our brokenness. There can be beauty in the midst of our brokenness. Here's what Paul says when he's talking about the light of Christ in 2 Corinthians. He says, we have this treasure in jars of clay. And in the end of 2 Corinthians, he goes on to say, God's power is made perfect in our weakness. See, sometimes we think, oh yeah, I'm the light of the world, right? We get cocky. Like, look at us, we're the church. And other times we think, wait a minute, I'm so messed up, I couldn't light up a closet, much less the world. And both of those attitudes, I think, misunderstand You know, the moment you boast in yourself or think that you have some light intrinsic in yourself, you're you're actually no longer light because you're not pointing to God's glory, his light, but but to yourself. And the moment you rely on yourself, you're no longer light because you're pointing not to God's sufficiency, but to your own, saying, I can do this, right? Look at me. Part of being the light and, and walking in the light is being ready to admit our faults, Not cover them over, but to admit where we are, to be true, to be honest. Remember, one one of the aspects of light, that metaphor, is about truthfulness. Well, if I'm truthful, I have to be honest about how dark my heart really is. I have to be ready to acknowledge human weaknesses and limitations, and, and and meaning your own specific weaknesses and limitations, not just weaknesses and limitations in general. Right? It's really easy to say, anyone can say, well, I'm only human. I'm not really admitting anything there. I'm actually excusing, right? But it takes a grasp of grace to really be able to say, you know what, I've failed in this way and in that way and again and again, right? I've failed. I've, I've failed as a, a, a husband or I've failed as a father or I've failed as a friend. I've failed as an employee, right? I've failed, just to be honest about our sin, our, our weakness, our brokenness. There's this part of the book of Ephesians, which we read earlier, that says, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. And uh, we are too ready to apply this verse to other people's darkness, aren't we? Right? We're too ready to expose other people's darkness. But we're slow to acknowledge that maybe what Paul is getting at there is that we must expose the darkness of our own hearts. Maybe what it means to walk in the light is actually to admit our sin, to confess them before God and men. So as we live in a way that acknowledges our need, 
that acknowledges our dependence upon Jesus, we actually highlight for the world who Jesus is as the light of men. Yes, we're to draw near to God. We're to, to bathe ourselves in his light. But then we need to be ready at the drop of a hat to acknowledge our own darkness, our own sin, our own rebellion, so that it will be truly his light that is seen. Which really brings us to our final point, which will be much briefer than the other two, and that's the purpose of the light. And Jesus tells us the purpose, doesn't he? It's pretty straightforward. In verse 16, he says, uh, Let your light so shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. You know, why do we do what we do? Uh, why do we strive to be good parents or to excel as educators or, or to, to be the best students we can be? Why do we strive to discover new technologies or to help our neighbor in need or to seek justice and equity for all people or, or to live beautifully in the world? Why do we strive for those things? Do we do it to make a name for ourselves so that people will see how good we are as, as parents and as students and as scientists or as artists or as people or as friends or whatever? We might. I mean, that's our temptation, right? Uh, we're tempted to do what we do so that we might establish our own little kingdom where our own glory is on display and people will worship at the cult of me. Jesus has a lot to say about this later in the Sermon on the Mount, doesn't he? Uh, we're to do what he do, what we do, he says, before our Father in heaven, our Father who sees in secret, not before men, and our Father who sees will reward us. We are to do what we do, seeking to please God. But that's actually not what Jesus says here. In fact, it's funny because later he says, do your good deeds in secret. And right here in this verse, he says, do them before men so that they may see them. What is Jesus getting at here? He's saying that we're to do what we do, whatever it is, so that other people might be pleased with God, not with us. So that people might see our good works and give glory to our Father who is in heaven. So that they might see the way we live and they might wonder where this thing comes from. This love, this compassion, this grace that they have never experienced before. We are the light of the world. We are the light of the world in order to point to the light of the world. Let your light then so shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Live beautifully so that God's beauty would be seen and known and praised. Let's pray. <clears throat> Our Father in heaven, we, uh, if I'm honest, I am still scared to death to think that I, that we, that your church is called to be the light of the world. That, that calling scares me. It, how can we ever do that? How can we ever be that? And yet we know ultimately it's about your work and not ours. It's about your beauty in our brokenness. It's about your light being seen in the midst of our darkness, about your strength being seen in our frailty. We pray, Father, that you would help us to, to step out in weakness so that your power would be made known. Help us to 
to gaze upon your face, that we might be changed, that we might become light, and yet ultimately so that we might simply reflect your light and point to your light so that Jesus would be seen in us and through us to your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.